Well, I love that song, but I remember when Brooklyn was here and Marcus was leading that, see, see, Marcus was leading that, you remember? He would lead and he'd give a little, maybe you should try that the next time. He was doing like that to get the people to respond, so you might not, might work on that. The names that we have been given as Christians mostly have been given to us by those outside the church. For instance, we have been called believers, people of the way in the New Testament time. The people of Antioch were the ones who first referred to the followers of Christ as being Christians. We are called saints. I know that there is a criteria in the basic understanding of saint, but the truth is in Scripture, if one is a believer, that person is a saint. And so I am a saint. You can start calling me Saint Wendell. They don't have any of those. But you are a saint also if you know the Lord. So there are a lot of names that have been given to us. As a matter of fact, our name Baptist was a name that came from outside the church. It was not something that we took for ourselves. It was a name that was given to us. Well, today we're going to continue our study from 1 John, and in the verses we're going to read, John refers to us as overcomers. I find that interesting, because the truth is, most of us today do not feel like overcomers. As a matter of fact, we are threatened today, we are depressed today, Christians today somewhat are very defeated, and yet John refers to us as overcomers. Take your Bibles, turn with me, please. We'll pick up where we left off last time. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now then, in these verses, I want you to see with me three characteristics of a follower of Christ or of an overcomer. And the first word is appreciation for the family. Now you'll notice there in verse number one, when he said, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. We appreciate our natural families, do we not? That's the reason that we go to Ancestry.com. We want to know to whom are we related? Where did we come from? How did we get here? Who are our relatives? My guess is that some of you have gone to Ancestry.com and wish you had not. But nevertheless, we are interested in our families. We have appreciation for our earthly families. This is a family crest ring that I wear. My daughter has one. My son has one. And the reason for it is because of appreciation for our family. It is natural for us to appreciate and love our earthly families. It's natural for a parent to love a child. And that's the reason it disturbs us to the degree that it does 
when we hear of a parent who has abused their child. That is not natural. And so it is natural for us. And that is only intensified when one has grandchildren. Someone has said that grandchildren are the dividends paid for having a child. Yesterday I was studying. Hank called me and said, uh, Daddy, can I come by and see you for a while? Are you kidding me? I said, absolutely, come on. So he came by for about an hour. We spent some time together. Yesterday, Janie called. And she said, Daddy, what's Gypsy doing? And I said, she's in bed. She said, get her up. I want to go shopping. <laughs> so they went shopping. See, that, 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 that's what happens. I mean, if you have children, you love those kids. I love my children. Love my grandchildren. That is natural. It is natural for children to love their parents. Therefore, we are disturbed on occasion when we hear about a child who has abused their elderly parent. It is natural for us to love our family. It's natural for siblings to love each other. I, my brother Glenn died when he was 48 years old, and I still miss him to this day because I was very close to him. It's natural for us to love our brothers and sisters. So love then is natural, but it also is supernatural. You'll notice here in verse number 1 where John wrote, Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Barclay says the literal translation is, Everyone who loves him who begat loves him who was begotten of him. Put much more simply, that is, if we love a father, we also love his child. If we love a father, we also love his child. Now, we love the father. We love our heavenly father. We sing praises to Him. We love Him. He has blessed our lives. He has changed our lives. It is, it is our, our expression of love for Him. We love Him, but according to John, if I love God, I also love God's children. The American commentary says the Greek term translated father is literally the one who has begotten and his child is literally the one begotten from him. So, the Bible says that if I love God, then I love the children of God. Now, that gets a little sticky, and we'll get to that as we go along here. But that is what he is saying. We love the Father. If I love the Father, then I love the children of the Father. A.E. Brooke wrote, Everyone who has been born of God must love those who have been similarly Ennobled. So we begin with appreciation for the family. I believe that what John is saying in part is for an overcomer, it is a person who has appreciation for the family. If I am going to be an overcomer, then I must have appreciation for the family of God. I love God and I love the children of God. Then we get to the application in verse number 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. How do I know that I love the children of God? When we love God and observe His commandments. Now, that is the proof of our love. What is it? Obedience. What is the proof of love? He says it is obedience. Well, obedience can be hard, can it? Any, anything 
any acknowledgement would be okay. Obedience can be hard. I mean, it's easy to preach about obedience. It's hard to obey and authority. I don't know what I was doing one time, but I do remember Linda saying to me, why do you do that? I don't know. know, It's just hard to be perfect all the time. (laughs) Obedience can be hard, and it's hard. He says that I I am to love the brethren. I'm to love you. That's a part of it. If I'm an overcomer, then I love God. I love the children of God. Well, there are some people that are somewhat difficult to love, are they not? There are some people you just don't feel anything in common with. I, I remember talking to Dr. J.T. Elif about that on one occasion early in my ministry. Dr. Elif was the father of Tom Elif, who's the president of the International Mission Board. And I, and I said, Dr. Elif, I'm, you know, I have some, there, there are some people that I really enjoy being around who are Christians and some I don't particularly enjoy being around. He said, well, that's all right. He said, the Bible says that you're to love everyone, but it doesn't say that you are to like everyone. There are some people that you are more comfortable with because you have things in common with them more than you do with other people. But the Bible says we are to love everyone. It's hard to love those people who hurt our feelings. Sometimes you would say, well, you know, so-and-so's hurt my feelings. And it's, it's hard to feel comfortable with the person who hurts your feelings. Linda was sick a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I came to work. I, I forgot. I got busy and I forgot that she was sick, so I didn't check on her. And so I worked all day and I got home. When I got home, then I remembered and I, I thought to myself, I'm probably going to be in trouble. And, I, and so, you know, I did the best I could. I went in the house and Linda was there and she was looking like she had been sick. And I said, honey, how do you feel? She said, I'm fine. She said, but I've learned one thing. You don't get any sympathy around here. Now, she was upset with me, and, and I understand, I, I forgot, but even, even saying that, she loves me. I know she does. You know, if you played in our golf tournament, you saw that sign that she put out there that says, Linda loves Wendell. So I know that she loves, even though she was upset with me, I know that she loves me. It's hard for us to have this relationship that we need and appreciation that we need for those who hurt our feelings. It's hard for us to have that relationship and appreciation for those who attack us when we're only trying to help. I remember one Saturday I was praying. I spend Saturdays mostly in prayer and study. And so I was praying and the Lord put this particular family on my heart. And so I called them. I called them to just check on them, see how they were doing. Well, when, you know, when I got on the, when the person answered the phone and I said, hey, I was just calling, I was praying. And you came to my mind, the Lord put you on my heart. And I just called in to check on you. And that person began to tell me everything about me that they didn't like. And then I said, I, you know, you, I was just calling to check on you. I said, Lord, what's this all about? I thought you wanted me to call this person. Well, Steve could have called. That would have been a much better thing. But it, it is hard to have a relationship or this appreciation for those who attack us. But look what he says in verse number 3. For this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments 
are not burdensome. Really? It is easy to love. Stott wrote, love for God is not an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. That's really what it is. You see, ladies and gentlemen, oftentimes we define love in terms of feeling. It is the way that I feel. No, it is far more than that. It is a moral commitment. Love is not a feeling. It is obedience. If love is a feeling, then you're going to constantly be loving and not loving because your feelings change. They're constantly changing. But if it is a moral commitment of obedience, then you constantly love. And so he says it's not burdensome. Religion can be burdensome. The Pharisees were burdensome in their religion because they were very legalistic. Matthew 23, 4 says, They tie up heavy loads and lay these on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Their religion was a very legalistic religion and it was burdensome. Islam is a burdensome religion. There are people who embrace the faith of Islam And many of them even strap bombs on themselves and blow themselves and others up. That is a burdensome religion. As Christians, we can make Christianity burdensome. And I have certainly done that. I think the reason for it, early in our walk with the Lord, that we have an idea that somehow I can do something or not do something, and as a result, that I'm earning the favor of God, that I, I make myself right with God by what I do or by what I don't do, and therefore we become legalistic in our understanding. Early in mine and Linda's journey with the Lord, I, I wanted to do everything that I could. I, I mean, I wanted to please God. I wanted to earn God's favor. And so I tried to do all of these things that I thought you were supposed to do. I heard a preacher preaching, and he said that, you know, if you're a Christian, then you should not eat pork, and you should drink carrot juice. And I thought, okay, you know, because I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to learn. And so I quit eating pork and started eating carrots. And I did that for a while, and then I came to the point where I said, where does it say that in the Bible? And I couldn't find it anywhere, and so I went back to bacon. But, you know, we can make, we can make Christianity burdensome with legalism that is not in Scripture. And what we try to do is to make ourselves acceptable to God by the things that we do or the things that we don't do. And, my friend, if you have a relationship with God, it is by His grace and not by your works. We cannot earn it. We never deserve it. We can make it burdensome. And he says that the commands of Christ are not burdensome. Did you notice that? The commands of Christ are not burdensome. Bynes defines burdensome as heavy, weighty, grievous. In Matthew chapter 11, verse number 30, Jesus said, For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Now, how can that be? How can it be that the commands of God are not burdensome? Because God never asks you to do something in which He does not enable you to do it. For instance, if God gives you a command to do something, then He gives you the strength to do it. 
He enables you to do it. When God tells us to love, He enables us to love. You've heard the old story about the man who came across a young boy and the young boy was carrying his brother who was lame on his back and the man said to him, do you carry him to school every day? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, that's a heavy burden for you to carry. He said, oh, it's no burden, that's my brother. See, when, when God tells us to love, it's not a burden, it's my brother. When God tells me to love Bob McAllister, now sometimes it's burdensome, but that's my brother. You know. When God tells you to love me, you may say, well, you know, but I'm your brother. That, that, that's how we do it. God enables us to do what He calls us to do. His command is not burdensome, it's a privilege, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to reveal to the world what it means to love as Jesus loved us. You see the appropriation there in verse number 4? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Three times in these verses, John uses the word overcome. Now, if there's something to overcome, then there must be, there's a conflict there to overcome. So there has to be a conflict if it is going to be overcome. And the word overcome that he uses is in the present tense, which means that it is happening now. He said, now you are victorious. Now you are overcoming. Not somewhere down the future, but he says, now you are overcomers. God enables us to overcome the world and its temptation now. That's the promise. God enables us to overcome our enemies now. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is when the Hebrews had come to the edge of the promised land. They sent in spies to spy out the land, see what it was. Twelve spies went out. They came back. Ten of them came back with the same report. They said, we become like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So ten of the spies came back and said, we went into the land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, just as God said that it was. It's all that God had promised, but the enemies there, the giants. And we're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in comparison to them. There is no way that we can go in and take the land. But Joshua and Caleb saw it differently. In Numbers 13.30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. Joshua and Caleb understood that they were overcomers. We shall overcome it. They saw the same thing. They saw the land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. They saw the enemy, but they saw it differently. They saw it as overcomers. We shall surely Overcoming. My friend, I want you to understand as a follower of Christ today, God will enable you to overcome your enemies. For some of you, that might be drugs. For some, it might be alcohol. For some, it might be pornography. For some, it might be laziness. Whatever it is, whatever your enemy is, that thing in your life that is keeping you from being 
what God wants you to be, whatever that is. God will give you the grace and the strength to overcome it. We can overcome our enemies. We face evil in life, but he gives us the power to overcome evil. I love the story about Joseph who was sold into slavery and then he became the slave to Potiphar. He was taking care of Potiphar's house, all of his possessions. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph and so she said, lie with me, a temptation. In Genesis 39:9, Joseph said, there is no one greater in this house than I and he has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And he overcame. He was an overcomer. As he faced evil in his life, he overcame. My friend, please understand that as a believer, you have the capacity to be an overcomer. And when you face evil, you can overcome. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because you know Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit resides within you, then you have the power to overcome Satan. 1 John 2.13 says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You are able to overcome. How can you do that? You are overcomers. If you're a child of God, he says, he referred to you as an overcomer. How do you overcome? Look at verse number four again. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. People of faith, people who have faith in Jesus Christ are overcomers. But you have to have faith in the incarnation, verse number 5. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, why is it important to believe in the incarnation of Jesus? That Jesus was the incarnation of God. Why is it important to believe that? One commentator wrote, if we believe in the incarnation, it means that we believe that in Jesus, God entered the world and took our human life upon himself. It means that he cared enough to take our limitations upon himself. And because he shares in our humanity, he understands our dilemma. It is important when when people, when people, Push aside the idea of the incarnation that Jesus is God in the flesh. You understand the importance of it. It is important to believe, to have faith in the incarnation of Christ. Because it is faith in God that resists temptation. If I have faith in God that He cares and that He shares with me, then I can resist temptation. In fact, James wrote in verse number, chapter 4, verse 7, Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist is two Greek words which means to set against and to stand. To set against and to stand. Resist the devil, set against and to stand. It means that we are to stand against the devil. Unfortunately, we oftentimes don't take a stand against Satan, do we? We don't take a stand against the things that are evil, do we? That's what he says. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. I read the story about a man who was going to a Halloween party. He was dressed up as the devil, had on a red suit, tail, horns, pitchfork, all that. He was going to the party. 
And as he was walking to where the party was down the street, there was a downpour that occurred. I mean, it's just raining cats and dogs. It starts raining. So he ducks in a door where they were having church. And when the people saw the devil in the church, they panicked. They, they began running out the door. They jumping out the windows, hiding under the pews. They were getting away as quickly as they could, except for one woman who was in a wheelchair. She and the devil connected eyes. They looked at each other. And she said, you know, I've always been on your side. I'm afraid sometimes that is our response whenever there is something to stand against. We fail to resist. It is faith that enables us to endure the challenges of life, the sorrows. Some of you have experienced sorrows in life, probably all of you. Disappointments, failures, death, the death of your loved ones, the death that you face. It is faith that enables us to endure. And we overcome because we have the hope of victory in verse number 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We overcome because we have the hope of victory in Jesus the world did everything it could to destroy Jesus. It hounded and slandered him. It judged and crucified him, but it did not destroy him. After the cross, there was the resurrection. And after the shame, there was the glory. Because, the, because of Jesus, we have the hope of victory. My friend, you're going to go through this life, and some of you young people, you're going to face ridicule when you stand for Christ. You want to stand for righteousness for the Lord when the, those around you do not. You're going to face ridicule. You're going to face hostility, and we do today. It seems today that there is a tremendous and growing hostility that is directed against the people of God. I'm amazed by it, to be honest with you. I am amazed by the hostility that is directed towards traditional Christian positions today. You're going to face that. Some of you will face rejection because of your commitment to Christ. But in Him, we still are victorious because He gives us the victory through our faith. Here's the conclusion in verse 5. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does John tell us here? He says that we are to love the family, appreciate the family. That means that I, I love God, I love the Father, and we do. But my friend, it also means that we love the children of the Father. If we love the Father, it means that we also love His children. And according to what John says, don't say that you love God whom you have not seen if you hate your brother whom you have seen. To be an overcomer, I appreciate the family, and because of him, we become overcomers. E.L. Yates lived in West Texas in the 1930s. He had a sheep ranch close to Midland. Things had gone badly. 
He was just about to go into bankruptcy. I mean, everything that could happen had happened. and It was a bad time, a tough time. And he was about to go into bankruptcy. There were some surveyors from an oil company who came to see him because he owned some land. And they asked him about surveying his land and the possibility of drilling for oil and so forth. And they promised him that we will give to you one barrel of oil for every eight that we find, if we find oil. Well, he agreed he was going bankrupt anyway. He had nothing to lose. They began to drill, and at 1,115 feet, they hit a gusher that produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. Now, did he at that point become rich? No. He was already rich. He just didn't know it. My friend, that's what I want to say to you today. You are an overcomer if you know Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, then you're a victor. I'm not talking about this cheap, feel-good stuff that we see on television so often. I'm talking about in reality. I'm talking about in living your life in righteousness, in holiness, in godliness, as salt and light in a world that desperately needs you. Because of Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. And so am I. So we need to stop hanging our heads and complaining about everything that's wrong and go out and live our lives as overcomers so that we can bring our world back to Jesus. Our Father and God, we thank you for the strength that we have in Christ, for the promise that is ours in your word. And Lord, I pray that you will help us understand the power that we have, the strength that we have as overcomers, children of God, that we might live that way. That we can make a difference in this world that so desperately needs a difference made. I pray for those even here today who have never come to know Christ that they might. For those who need to make commitments to you that they would. Give them the strength in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you don't know Christ today, would you commit your life to Him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll reach you should do.